Hey, welcome back to Hey, welcome to a new episode of the All In Podcast. This week we have Ruth Hamblin on, and it was a great conversation on learning her story from going from a small town of 3,000 people to being drafted in the WNBA and now playing overseas, and as well as gunning for a spot on the 2021 Tokyo Team Canada Olympic team. So we talk about her story growing up, we talk about her experience playing overseas, we touch on women in sport, as well as how she is more than a basketball player, and we talk about her mindset of dealing with failure and the ups and downs that she's experienced in her career. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and learn a lot from Ruth. This is your host, Natalie Allport, and on this podcast, we dive into the mindset, knowledge, and stories behind inspiring and passionate individuals who know what it takes to go all in. So whether you're here for motivation, to learn something new, or just real conversation, I'm humbled you're listening and stoked to go all in with you. Welcome back to the All In Podcast this week. I'm joined by Ruth Hamblin, and she is in Poland right now playing pro basketball. Uh, she's from Canada. She played for Oregon State. How is Poland? How is it going being over there, especially in the middle of a pandemic? Poland is great. Um, really enjoyed my experience in this country so far. Uh, when I first got here, things felt pretty normal as far as like the pandemic, but things have slowly been shutting down as the numbers have been rising. So just kind of sticking to my apartment, the grocery store, and the gym, but keeping it simple. Yeah, that makes sense. I have some family in um, in Europe and it seemed like things were back open. Like they were going to school. I think at the start when it shut down, they shut down for a while. They went back to school actually in the spring. They had some like slow, but now it's like full lockdown again, they said. And so it seems like that's like Europe was having a good summer. And now maybe with the, the cold, the people are like going back inside and things are spreading yeah it seems to be that way and i know poland like all the countries are different we're not fully in lockdown yet but okay. it's kind of blooming so i'm just taking it one day at a time here <laughs> yeah so are, are you guys like still playing games and everything yeah so we're still playing it's been the past two weeks have been the november break for the fiba windows so we haven't had any games we've just been practicing but this saturday okay. we should be playing again um we don't play with any fans that got x data month or so ago um, okay. so it's just like us and the officials and, yeah how is that I've been wanting to ask people who have been back to team sports how that is like is there a difference like I know sometimes if you're in the moment you don't notice the fans but at the same time like that can really add to the experience yeah it's definitely a different experience um thankfully I've been playing overseas for a few years now and to be honest there's some clubs that I've played with that don't already draw a very big fan base already so right. I was kind of used to that like dead gym feeling having to like, create <laughs> be really intentional about creating the energy like for yourselves because there's no one else going to create it so like the bench energy is so important and then just like as a player you have to have that internal motivation because there is nobody <laughs> there who's going to bring energy for you <laughs> yeah oh my gosh I can only imagine just watching like uh the WNBA and the NBA games over the summer it was so crazy to see like the fake fan cheering that was so yeah. odd but also it was cool as a fan to to like hear on the live stream the communication of the players and like how loud you actually are because you don't notice that unless you're actually at the game totally and it's kind of a plus because yeah it's so much easier to communicate but I think it is cool for the fans to see that different dimension because I even had some friends who came to live games before and they're like wow I didn't realize how much you guys talk to each other on the court and how yeah. important that is and I'm like oh my goodness like we talk all the time like you have to be able to communicate and be on the same page yeah, that makes sense. I like I come from a hockey background and then of course into snowboarding. And so like in hockey it's less communication. Like there is still yelling, but you still have like the mask and everything. So it's it's much more difficult. So I, I haven't really experienced that fully. And then especially obviously in snowboarding, I'm not yelling at someone as I'm going down the run. So it was really cool to see like in all these different sports how much you need to be communicating and and yelling and talking. 
Yeah. So how has it been like in being in a different country right now in this pandemic and not really being able to like, you know, just socialize as normal? Like I know a lot of people can probably relate because we're kind of in lockdown here in Canada and in the U.S. I mean, maybe less so in the U.S. for people listening from there, but still they should probably be. And um, and, and so there's a lot of the mental health impacts have been, it's been a big conversation this year. How has it been, especially being in a new country? Uh, I know you've been learning the language a little bit. Um, yeah. How, how, how has that experience been? Yeah, it certainly um, is a challenge. And I mean, it's a challenge, whether it's a pandemic or not, to like come into these foreign scenarios and just kind of insert yourself because most of the local girls, like they have their own lives. They're in school. Mm -hmm. They sometimes even have jobs and stuff. So they kind of just, they do their thing. They show up to practice and then you don't see them again. And so it's kind of on you. Um, I was able to like plug into like a church community here at first, which really helped but then that's all been shut down again. So yeah, it's just a matter of being like really intentional. Thankfully, I do have like one friend who I've made outside the basketball court. So that's really nice. Like we went on a walk together yesterday. And so just to have like one outlet even <laughs> makes all the difference for me. And then thankfully, I really like my teammates here too. Like we all get along really well. They're a bunch of like really neat girls. And so I really enjoy, I like maximize the social impacts of basketball. Like I just, I'm so happy when I arrive to the gym, get to hear about how they're doing and get to play basketball with them. Yeah. That's awesome. I, yeah, the team experience definitely adds to it. Like I know, um, like you probably know playing for Team Canada, you, you're you going with that whole crew to a different country. So you have that group like going with you. So I, I'm really interested about your experience because you kind of have to plug yourself into a whole new group of people, which includes locals, people from all different backgrounds. It's not like here, we're all from Canada and we're all going to Poland together. How do you, like when you go to all these different places, I know you've played in many places, how do you like plug in and get that teamwork going right off the bat? Cause it's pretty important. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of times the amount of times you hang out off the court really helps. And so we've had a couple get togethers as a team, um, which is, yeah, that's awesome. Cause you get to like hear about their lives, hear about <laughs> more personal things than basketball. And then I think just like making it really fun when you get to the gym, sometimes, you know, people just like come to the gym and they don't interact with the four or with the local girls. And like, they just kind of, Oh, I'm here to do my job, get my money. Whereas uh, for me, I'm like, right. okay, like I want to, connect this team and like even just like not even like for a success reason but like I want to get to know these girls but also that does translate onto the court when you have that chemistry and you like care about each other on a deeper level than just like as basketball teammates so right yeah like you see like any sports documentary about team sports and the coaches uh who've had the most success and the teams that have had the most success are the ones that really prioritize like getting to know each other and blending the team it's not just like here's a group of individuals and they're each doing their jobs and next year they'll be here and there it's like no you really got to build something together totally it's so important so what other countries have you like played in yeah so I've been all over the world um, I played in the WNBA my rookie year and then I've played in Australia France Belgium last year I was in Russia and now I'm in Poland so I've just been doing a tour around the globe <laughs> <laughs> have you been trying to learn like all the different languages everywhere you go a little bit yeah like thankfully Belgium and France were easy because like I took five years of French in oh, school right. but, like I already knew a little bit and like could practice there but like Russia last year whoo that was that was a different level right there just oh trying to get the alphabet down I was like I don't even know how to like try and enunciate or, like pronounce these words uh, it's crazy right like I I went to China uh I guess yeah 2019 and just even you show your google maps and because it's all different symbols like all the letters are different they're like I don't know and I'm like but uh, and they're like well your google maps is like not in Chinese letters I'm like well if it's in Chinese letters I'm not gonna be able to use it and and show you where I want to go and so then like taxis wouldn't pick us up no one would talk to us it was uh, just a crazy experience so I imagine it was very similar in Russia 
totally. Yeah. It's, it's quite, quite the challenge. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I actually, I always want to go to Russia, but maybe someday, but I definitely think I need to learn a little bit of the language or get something going because it's, yeah, it's a totally different place. It's not like going to uh, like a tourist area in Spain, for example, where people totally. just know English. Yeah, yeah, not very few people like new English in Russia. And so a lot of it's just like on me to figure out. And <laughs> thankfully, like with Google Translate, and then like I use this app called Yandex, which is like an Uber in Russian. So I was able oh, like, okay. to, I could get places, which was really nice. So that was helpful. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And so did I hear that like you got fine from coming back from Russia? Could you like explain that whole process? Oh, because I think that will blow some people's minds. Yeah, that was quite the situation last year when the pandemic hit. Um, so like I'm out in Russia, not even just in like Russia, I'm in Siberia. So oh my I'm gosh. out there. And um, everyone, like all my friends who are playing in Europe are like going home and like the leagues are shutting down and Russia's like, coronavirus can't live in Russia. <laughs> so I was like, okay, what's going to happen? Our league, we were still playing games. And then finally the league was like, we're going to postpone for two weeks. Um, but then, you know, it'll all be over in two weeks. And so I was like, okay, so can I go home for those two weeks? Like, you know, if we can't practice or whatever. And they were like, no. And I was like, <laughs> I remember watching the um, Justin Trudeau speech when he was like, he made, I think he said, Canadians, if you're abroad and you're, this is your time to come home now. And I felt he was speaking to me. And <laughs> I, was like, I need to get home like right now. Like, yeah. like who knows? But, like they're canceling flights, like Russian international flights were getting canceled. I was like, okay, I need to leave. And so like I asked to leave and they were like, no, like you can't leave. Like you have to stay here. And then also in the middle of this, our season got canceled. So everything's canceled. There's no reason to be there. And they're like, no, but your contract says you're here till May 5th. So we're just going to practice till May 5th. Oh my gosh. Like, what the heck is going on? And so I was like, yeah, I don't even care about the rest of my contract money. Like just pay me till the day that I'm here and I'm going to buy myself a flight home and leave. And then when yeah. I landed in LA, they were like, oh, we're going to find you for double your contract I was like what <laughs> but thankfully, uh, I, was to, I was able to like smooth it over but it took a few days and a bit of like empathy I had to like really kind of pour my heart out to our GM which is kind of an awkward thing to do but <laughs> worked out in the end. oh my gosh yeah I can only imagine that whole situation that's crazy and I think people don't really understand the like the pressure on professional athletes and like these things that go on like there's so many things like with politics and with finance and and all these things that really do go on behind the scenes that make it really stressful to make those decisions for yourself for your health you know all those those things totally yeah because it's like once you leave like college is probably the last level at least that I would have experienced having people that just want the best for you and like, <laughs> yeah. decisions like that whereas now it's it's all on you because nobody's looking out for you like it's a business they're just there to make money and you have to decide what's best for you and your body and your mind and your soul so that's yeah. it. That's exactly. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. That's a good point. Um, yeah. T tell me about the college experience. I always love chatting about this because I, I personally, I didn't have one. Of course, snowboarding isn't like a college sport. So I always love hearing about how that experience was, how going from high school to college and that process is as well. Yeah. So I had an amazing college experience. Um, it was certainly like not expected. That was not the life path that I thought I was going to take growing up because like I just grew up on a small farm and so I didn't start playing basketball until I was in grade nine and it was just because that's crazy that class. is that is actually yeah. crazy no it's so the fact that I'm here today is I don't I don't know it's a miracle <laughs> that's <laughs> um, awesome but yeah so I started playing and then somehow like the UNBC coach Lauren Murdoch at the time she saw me and was like hey sent an email to my um teacher coach and she was like you have a lot of potential 
you should try out for the VC provincial team. I didn't even know these existed because I was just up in Houston, VC, <laughs> living on the farm. And yeah. so I was like, oh, wow, okay. And so went down, tried out for that team. And kind of through that was how I got scouted to um, Oregon State because if not, they would have had no idea who I was. <laughs> and so we played in tournaments in like Seattle and Oregon. And so, yeah, went to Oregon State. That was probably the most overwhelming experience in my life, especially that first year, that transition, like the culture shock going from a graduating class of 10 to my first chemistry <laughs> class of 200. <laughs> oh just, my gosh. Yeah, quite a lot of changes, but um, I was just ready for the challenge. And I had an amazing coaching staff and like amazing teammates who just kind of carried me along and accepted me for who I was. And yeah, allowed me to grow from there. That's awesome. What, what is the difference between like day-to-day life? Like you mentioned at college, like you, that's when you really have coaches and staff that really care about your progress versus now as a professional athlete, it's a business. What, what were the difference between, you know, maybe your day-to-day life as a student athlete versus day-to-day life as now a professional athlete? Yeah. So, well, obviously like there's the class aspect, which took up a lot, large part of my day, but I think just kind of in the realm that you're talking about, like, I remember I'd have meetings with my coach, like he'd call you into his office or like, you'd be even just kind of in the area and just wander in and like chat with the coaches. So there was like a really strong relational aspect there, which I think really helped our team be successful in the end. Um, and then, yeah, like you have academic advisors and you have, I don't even know what their role is, but people who were <laughs> helping me, um, like, yeah, think about my life goal and my journey and where I needed to get and so like there were like so many people supporting me and just like rooting me on and so I think that was was just an amazing experience to have and just to kind of even learn to like believe in myself and believe in my dreams right they're kind of fostering your growth all along especially I think at that age is so important because I mean you're not you know 30 years old when you're at college and playing sports and so you're in the age where you could be changing your mind on a lot of things that you want to do and so having those people around you is so important and it's interesting because there's a lot of athletes who might not have the college route or um you know when you hear about like NBA players that go to college for like a year or something and then they leave and go on or football players they miss, I think they miss out a little bit on that, you know, fostering of growth because you all of a sudden are thrown into this professional athlete world at a young age where you're still growing and developing. I mean, we're both like in our later twenties, I guess. And, uh, I mean, past 25, I'll say, I hate saying later something, but anyways, we're, we're young still, but you know, we're still growing and developing, but especially when you're like in that 18 to 20, something like you, it's your first time, probably like away from home and doing all these things so important to have a good like team around you totally yeah I think the college experience is something that it's kind of like the last peer form of sport you know gets mm-hmm. tainted at the professional level because it is a business and it's it's bigger than what the true intention of sport is which is just to become the best version of yourself and so I think that that's yeah. just really cool that it's able to hang on to that at least as of now <laughs> Yeah. So how, when you're dealing with all that, all the different things, politics of sport and things like that, how are you maintaining like that pure sport mentality and just trying to be, you know, better yourself, even when these other people aren't necessarily helping you in that process? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it just comes back to like personal growth. And so, yeah, it's like, there aren't people who are kind of piggybacking me along and just realizing that that's going to be my responsibility. If I want to reach my potential, if I want to become the basketball player that I believe I can be. And so reading lots of books, having like mental health coaches along the way, like we have a, um, yeah, coach with team Canada who I'm able to talk with and help. And he kind of works me through those things. And then just, yeah, I think, I think that's the biggest thing is just realizing that it's now your job and Mm. yeah, investing in yourself. 
Yeah, yeah, it's your responsibility now. The school isn't providing it. You have to kind of make those decisions. Yeah, that's interesting because I know I saw just a recent stat that was like a couple NBA players. Obviously, they're making like insane millions of dollars at NBA and football players. And they they spend like, I think it was Le- like, I think it was LeBron who spends mil- five million a year or something just on his like recovery. And I just like, that. yeah, yeah like crazy. two chefs and all these things. And I was like, that's insane. But when you think about it, like for him, that's a business expense. So for mm-hmm. someone in business, like thinking about that decision, was like that, that makes sense. You're investing in your asset, which is your body and your mind. And um, it makes sense. But that that's the interesting thing about like women in sport is we don't have access to that much money. We can't hire a full-time, like five full-time staff who are just following us around, giving us massages and, and doing these things. So yeah, like it's, it's great that you have access to that with team Canada, but many athletes um, perhaps don't. What, what suggestions would you give for someone who's, you know, they're trying to work their way up in sport and maybe they don't have this college uh, access to people around them who are helping or these things. And they're trying to figure out what's the best decision that they can make in investing in themselves when it comes to sport yeah I would just say don't be afraid to like ask for help there are so many people like in the grassroots level of coaches and like I know even in the basketball world it's so small and so like tightly knit together and so if you have one connection like they might know someone who is like a mental skills coach who can help you and even like reach out to the athletes especially I think that's one of the coolest thing about the female sports community is that you have direct access like some girl could hit me up in my dms and like I will most likely reply and so like even you know reach out to me reach out to the people you want to become and like they could they'll probably help you oh that's I'm glad that you said that because that's so true and that's one of the ways that I think like women in sport have a unique spot in the market if if we can take advantage of that more, like with social media, with these things, like LeBron James isn't responding to fan DMs, but female athletes are. And there's so many young girls out there. There's like 50% of the market is women, but we have like 4% of the media or something crazy like that. And if you can provide that direct access, that's another way that we can really like build women's sports, I think. And I think it comes to like promoting that and being like, hey, like you can message these athletes. There's ways to communicate and get mentoring and and things that, that can happen with that like direct direct line of communication. Totally. I think, yeah. And social media, like you said, like you're doing a great job of it. And like, that's something that I try and do is like, yeah, open that door and like, let people know that like, Hey, I'm here. I'm accessible. Like use me as a resource. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think that's, that's just so important. So walk me back. Like, let's, let's go back to like growing up and where you did, where exactly is that in BC? So if you were to like draw a dot in the right in the middle of British Columbia like geographically that'd be right around where Houston is. Okay. So, um it's pretty much between Prince Rupert and Prince George so kind oh, of just, yeah yeah if that helps you on the on highway 16 there um yeah <laughs> just a super small town like normally a pit stop rather than a destination um population of like 3,000 I think something like that oh now. my gosh yeah but wow. yeah, I grew up on a farm, so it was a Black Angus cattle ranch, um, and I was just, I was just Ruth, the farm kid. I rode horses <laughs> and showed cows and did 4-H and all that good stuff, so. <laughs> That's amazing, and did you play any other, like, sports growing up? No, I played volleyball in grade seven, but okay. mainly just because everyone else did, um, <laughs> and then, like, we finally got a basketball team in grade nine, um, but yeah, it's, sports were, like, not a part of my life growing up. Like, I didn't watch the NBA like we didn't really have a TV, so we know. <laughs> yeah, it's a different different era that I came from. I feel like, yeah. 
Oh, wow. That's, that's awesome. I, I like to relate to that a little bit. Like I, we've spent time, we have like the small family cottage. It's like our great, great, great uncles. And then everyone, the next generation always buys it from the, the parents before. And yeah, we had like no TV. And so we went there all summer, no matter where we lived. And it was just my brother and I, uh, my dad, my mom usually worked during the week, but it would come up on weekends and my grandparents all in like one log cabin kind of room, you know, like a little separator bunk beds, my brother and I on the top and my brother or my mom and my dad on the bottom and uh and yeah it was the same like it was just making your own fun you know like figuring out what to do every day because there's no tv there's no internet there's no video games and I I think that that is a great way as a kid even just to build up like when you do take on sports you've you've been like outside and doing things you're not just you haven't just been sitting inside like you have some skill sets that you've you've built I'm assuming that like just around the farm all the work that you did probably contributed to like your strength and athleticism when you started basketball totally I think I definitely saw like a translation there and especially like I'm really tall and so I think it helped me grow into my height because I was riding horses I was throwing hay bales and all that stuff so I'm kind of just learning to use my body in a super practical way and then also I think it had I really think it's contributed to my strength because like I'm really physically strong even though like I didn't start lifting till I was you know 17 and barely knew what I was doing then and so just I think that like farm girl strength I don't even know how to like modify it but I just I've got it (laughs) so (laughs) I love that I I like to say the same thing like you know just helping my grandpa and my dad carry like logs around and (laughs) split wood and all those things like seriously it's it's it, it is training and as a kid I think it's so important for kids to get like cross training experience and not just like you know be stuck into one sport one like linear movement and so I think it's like the best way just like if any parents are, are going to listen to this podcast like get your kid outside and doing manual labor I think seriously totally. I feel like it's like injury prevention too because yeah like like you were saying with the single sports focusing like you're just doing the same repeated movements like yeah when you're out there chopping wood and stuff like that is a very dynamic thing like you're those are great movement patterns to have and just strength to build in different areas and different movements yeah that was like my hockey training my dad's like okay this morning you have to do three hours before you can hang out with anyone else <laughs> and so that that's exactly it that's awesome but when you were a kid what like what did you want to be growing up if it wasn't you didn't you know you weren't into sports yet yeah so my goal was actually go to to go to the olympics for equestrian show jumping oh okay and yeah so I, was, I yeah, got into jumping when i was like 12 and just like loved it and so that was kind of my dream and that was kind of the biggest thing i had to um kind of juggle when basketball mm-hmm. came up and i was like oh but like i have to give up on this dream that i've had and so that was really hard um And I think for me, it came down to like my faith at the end of the day, I was like, okay, I feel God is opening these doors and just like nudging me this way. And like, I was praying for so many signs and he gave me a bunch, but I just was ignoring them all. (laughs) And then finally I came in and I was like, okay, like, I'm just going to like take a leap of faith. This is terrifying. I don't know where this is going to go. This is not the life that I planned, but I'm just going to, yeah. See, see what happens. Yeah. That's awesome. And is, I know like equestrian show jumpers, like, aren't they, they're pretty small usually, no? They are. There's a few tall ones that I still okay. have. I hope, like, yeah, it's a couple six four. And There's still a chance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Cause in my mind, I'm like, aren't they like this just two op- opposite builds of a basketball player yeah. and an equestrian show jumper. <laughs> it's definitely not ideal to be very tall to be an equestrian. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you'd have to like, you have to have, I don't know, like you get really close to the horse. I, I know nothing about show jumping, but yeah, I could, I can imagine. <laughs> 
Awesome. So now you have this Olympic goal for, for Tokyo 2021 now, I, I suppose, hopefully that's, that's going to happen. I have no idea the updates, but they said that I think that they're confirming, like it's going to happen no matter what, how is that going? And how did that even come about to get onto team Canada? Yeah. So, um, as far as how it's going, just, yeah, we're, we're doing as much as we can right now. Like with this November window, we were hoping to like meet and train, but with like all the quarantine rules and stuff, we couldn't really get together. And so we've been doing like zoom meetings and stuff. So we're just trying to get as connected as we can. Um, but then, yeah, how it came about was, well, kind of as soon as I decided to pursue basketball, I was like, well, I'm going to go to the Olympics for basketball then, which I mean, it's so yes. funny to think back. Like, man, that was so unrealistic. And yet here I am. Um, and so, yeah, I just was like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then I got invited to the U19 tryout um 2012 so right the year I was going into university and so I played that summer well I sat on the bench that summer because I still had a lot of <laughs> but I was there and so that was a really cool experience um and then actually I like grew so much after my freshman year of college that I got invited to the senior camp the next summer oh, wow, which that's was, like, awesome. crazy um and it was mainly to be there just to like you know learn and see how you just to like see what the next level is so like what you have to aim for and then I actually did pretty good. And so they asked me to stay on the European tour. And so I went to Europe with the senior national team, like right after my freshman year. And so that was awesome. And just kind of got put into the bubble then. Um, didn't quite make 2016. I was like one of the first few people cut out, which was heartbreaking, but just continuing to grow and like chase that Olympic dream and pursue my game because I have so much to contribute to the team and so much growth to have. So I've just been trying to continue to look at it that way instead of what I've missed out on. That's awesome. And and how is the process working now? Like, are you on the team? Is there still like more tryouts and decisions before that's made? Yeah. So I'm in like the squad. So they've actually just expanded to the pool. So I think it's in 16 and then I think it's either 19 or 20 people who are in the like training group. So okay. those possible selection candidates. Um, and so they do that because, I mean, you have to for injuries and then also just like to keep things competitive because people continue to grow and develop. And so they will keep that group. I think they'll like slowly start thin it down. Like next May will be our first like tryout and then we'll be playing games and then they'll just like thin it down probably till all the way till like July. And so it's a bit of a intense process and it's so hard because especially like when you're someone who's on the bubble and on the cusp, like it feels kind of just like you're walking on a tightrope every day, but just trying to focus on doing the best that you can and yeah, see what happens from there. Awesome. Well, yeah, hopefully that all, that all goes well. And that's, that sounds really awesome. It's an interesting process. Like I know for me in snowboarding, you're, you're not necessarily competing against your teammates, I guess, to be on the team. Like there is only so many Olympic spots, but it's like two seasons before we even have to open our Olympic spots. Like, Cause Canada, if, if none of us did well, we could just have no spots. And so no okay. one, no one could go. And then the yeah. max is four. And so I know the year that I was really trying, we only opened up two spots the year before and I was injured pretty much that whole year. And then you have like world cups where you have to like place in a certain, um, you know, top spots. And then you are, you know, once you have those two spots for your team, you have to be like, okay, well, then I have to be, you know, the best, you know, one or two of my team in all these different events in the next, you know, kind of a competitions, I guess that season, but in a sense, it's almost like you're still competing against everyone in the world at that time. And then for, you still have to come better than those other people to, so it's not really direct against your teammates. So I, yeah. I can imagine it's interesting when you're on a team, you're trying to build these relationships with these other people, but yet you're like competing for a spot. Is there any like animosity in there? Or is it all just like good vibes? 
Yeah, well, I think like Cat Basketball, we are super intentional about like our culture and cultivating that. And so there certainly like is room. There could be room for animosity and tensions like that. But I think that we do like a really good job. Um, obviously there is like, it's hard. It's like a tough situation because everyone wants to be there. Everyone wants to like wear that Jersey at the end and represent Canada. Um, but I think that the girls that we have and like myself included, it's just, we're doing it for so much bigger than ourselves. And so it's like, we're going to be there. We're going to compete and give our everything to this program. And at the end of the day, they're going to choose who they think is the best team for Canada. And you just kind of, you go with that. And like, it's just, I think even for me, the perspective that I have is that I get to be there and compete with these like incredible women and I get to like learn from them and I get to even like call them my friends, which is like so cool. Yeah. So it's, I think just really enjoying that process and enjoying the, like the character of the people that I get to like train or compete alongside every day is the most important thing to remember. Yeah, I think that's that's a great perspective to have because I think in a lot of team sports, I personally, uh, you know, I haven't experienced it, but hearing from a lot of team athletes, it is that like you're all fighting for a roster on the same team, but at the same time, like when you're all practicing together, it's so important, like the team aspect, like we discussed, like not having that individual mindset. And so it must be really difficult to balance the two. I can only imagine as a coach trying to like, you know, get people competitive so that they're fighting for a spot, but at the same time, Hey, we got to all work together because we have this tournament coming up or we want, you know, all to grow together. I, yeah, it's, I can only imagine the, the, you know, trying to manage all that. Yeah. So basketball in, uh, like, I'm always so curious about like the leagues that go on in Europe. How, why do you think that there's all these leagues in Europe, but not necessarily as many here? Like how come that so many female athletes, especially have to go overseas to play in professional sports? Like hockey is similar too. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know why like we aren't able to get them in like Canada and stuff. I think it's just people don't believe in it. Um, Mm. I know overseas, like women's sports are valued. It's not like we have like crazy high fans, but like, it's a really important part of society. Like you have a men's team and you have a women's team. And so like, there's so many grassroots level and like there's young girls competing, like, and like sports is just a really big thing over here. And so I think that that's, it's just kind of instilled in the culture. And also I think it's cool that there's a lot of like most of the teams I've played on, it's usually some like older rich man who's a businessman who (laughs) believes in women's sports and values it and then invests. And so it's like, it's not a huge money making. It's not like a big profit thing, but like they love it so much that they want to have a team and they want to invest in these young women. So very grateful for that, but it would be, it would definitely be nice if I didn't have to like fly across an ocean to play the sport that I love. Yeah. I, I mean, it's so crazy that it's not valued here, which it just doesn't make any sense because you think like in a Western culture, you know, traditionally we've made more progress in uh, like women's rights and things than a lot of maybe some Eastern European countries, but yet they have the professional women's sports leagues and we don't, which is uh, that just such an interesting um, perspective yeah. to me. I, I don't know if it's maybe because here we're always comparing against the male sport leagues that are established and, you know, there they don't have those level of leagues. Maybe. I, I don't know like what the, the answer is, I suppose. Yeah, it's true. It is there is definitely kind of that thing of like, oh, like you wouldn't make as much as the NBA player, so it must have no value. It's <sighs> like that's not true. Like there yeah. is still huge value there and huge potential for growth. Like like you said, the markets, there's only four percent women's sports coverage, but like people want to watch women's sports if it's out there. 
Exactly. I think, I think we did see that this year. Like I know all sports were down, but like the WNBA finals had major increase in viewership, um, you know, more increase in viewership than like the NBA finals, which were like, you know, much, much decreased. Um, and we, we were just seeing that addition of coverage that like when the, the sports were put on TV, people are watching It's just that they're not being put on TV. And then people try to make the argument, well, they're not bringing in as much money and this it's like, well, you haven't even put it on TV for the opportunity to like bring in more money and have more sponsorship opportunities. Totally, yeah. There has to be an initial investment before you can see the reward. That's yeah. that's exactly it. That's that's always been the argument that I like. I I don't have a good solution, but this whole summer I've been like you know fighting the the TikTok trolls, <laughs> I suppose, <laughs> because I posted once about women's soccer and that started a whole bad Point. chain reaction of thousands of teen boys trying to argue, <laughs> and uh, and on my thought process once I decide afterwards I decided to stop responding to them. But <laughs> well, at the start I was like there needs to be an initial investment, and if someone can make that investment, like you said, like some some rich guy in Europe who wants to see women's sports, that's, that's going to help because I think, you know, people are saying, oh, well, we want the level to increase. Well, okay. Well, first off, if you want a level to increase, you need people to see that as a viable career option. You know, there's women like teenage girls are dropping out of sports at an insane rate. And it's because they, they get told by their family, their friends, uh, judgment of their peers, like they need to focus on traditional things perhaps like going to school and all these things because it's more of a hobby because there's no professional option for them so when you have more of these professional options they have the coverage so more people are actually seeing it i find that it's going to like over generations just increase the level but it it, it comes down to that first investment and then i don't know who's going to do it maybe someday I'll, some money will fall into my lap <laughs> who <Yes>. knows <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> it would need to be a significant amount, I'm sure, to start these leagues, but maybe it'll happen. I mean, we yeah. see with um what's the team, the Angels? Is it the Angels or the, the new team in LA? That's uh the women's soccer team. Oh yeah. All those women coming together and investing and building this team. I think that's that's what needs to happen with some of these yeah. other sport league opportunities. Totally, that would be really cool to see. Yeah. yeah, I think I saw Kevin Durant started like an AU Pro Sports or something with um, it was Kevin Durant. I don't know if Megan Rapinoe was part of this or or what happened, but it was a new sports league. And I think it, it started this summer and it was softball first. And now they're doing pro volleyball as well. And so they're That's incorporating so awesome. these, these things and they're using new technology. They're actually having no coaches. So it's uh-huh. like the team kind of like runs themselves. They're, they're trying to do something different and not market it the same as like, you know, the male uh, sports, which I think is, is a good you know, opportunity to test out the waters and see what happens when you treat it as something different and give people a whole different option of something to watch. Totally. Yeah. They can't use their old negative lens if it's something different. Yeah. That's, that's it. Exactly. You have the new technology showing behind the scenes, the more direct access, like, like we kind of talked about, it'll be interesting to see how these things play out. I mean, probably a tough year to launch some of these things, unfortunately, but hopefully um, they can hold on until better times and fans can return and all that stuff. Uh, so I watched uh, yesterday, I was watching uh, some of your YouTube videos. Um, I, I, I love it because I always fall out of making YouTube vlogs because it's such a commitment actually to like make them and edit them and, and do all that work and be consistent with it. Um, the one that really stuck out to me was the one that you talked about when you went to the ACES training camp and then you were sharing kind of your experience with failure. But I liked how you turned it around and said, you know, it wasn't necessarily a failure. Could you walk me through maybe um, like what your WNBA experience is, what your goals are with that, and then how the ups and downs that have happened with that? 
Yeah. So, okay, we'll start at the beginning. I got drafted in 2016 to Dallas and I played there my rookie year. And like, even just like that training camp was the most intense experience of my life. Because if you know the WNBA, you know that like there's very limited roster spots, like veteran turnaround is very rare. Like if you're drafted in the second round, like the odds of you making a team is like less than 1% or something crazy wow. like that. And so I was drafted in the second round. It was 18th overall, I believe. And so I went to train camp and I was like, well, just, just got to leave it all on the court. And yeah. I managed to like make the team, like the team even made a, like a trade for a center just to like make a spot for me. Oh, wow. And so yeah, played my rookie year there. That was a really challenging experience though, because just the culture of the team that year was like really quite toxic in a lot of ways. Like we had a lot of dysfunction. And when you're like a rookie role player on a team that is <laughs> operating at that level, it can be really stressful and also yeah, we don't imagine so we're just like isolated <laughs> so yeah so that was a challenging experience and then the next summer I decided to just like suspend my contract so I just like took a break in the year because I want to play for team Canada and because I've been one of those players on the bubble I want to just actually spend my summer developing and getting better instead of sitting on the bench in Dallas and so I was like okay I'm gonna just pause this so I can really just get some minutes and just continue to get better and hopefully increase my chances of making the Olympics. And so then the year after that, I was like, okay, well, there's a bit of time. Like, I think I can go back to Dallas. I went to the training camp um, and then I got cut. And so that was hard to get cut there. I mean, that's a big cut to like your ego and to mm -hmm. like everything. Um, and then the next year was the ACES training camp. And so I had this opportunity and it's like, you never really know what your actual chances are. A lot of times, those training camp contracts are like just mainly for training bodies while they wait for mm. people to return from overseas. But I was like, okay, just going to go make the most of it. And I really just like put my heart and my soul into like preparing for that. And like, cause I was, I wasn't overseas. I was in Vancouver. I was training at level 10 with John. I've heard of level 10. I, I know some other athletes that go there. Yeah. There were some snowboard girls there that I saw. Oh yeah. Um, but Maybe yeah, like so Spencer O'Brien. I think she trained there. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, so I, I went to that training camp and I definitely didn't, it wasn't my best performance, got cut. And that, that once again, that was just kind of like a real, it was a real tough cut. And it's just because also like the WNBA is such a, it's such an elite status, you know, it's like when you make a WNBA, like you've made it in your basketball career. And so I like, yeah. just wanted to really want to like get back in there. And so that was tough and just being able to dig deep into my character and like bounce back from that and I just think also I really enjoyed sharing that journey and like kind of tying it back with my YouTube like my goal of my YouTube channel is to kind of like be really authentic in this like professional basketball life and so not just showing the glitz and the glam and like highlight reels and stuff but like hey this is like really hard and like there's days where you don't feel like doing it and you push through and just really showing like the whole realm of what it takes and I think it was scary to post that video to kind of like literally publicly declare like this failure, you know? Um, but yeah, just, I think it's such an important message, especially for young female athletes to see because yeah. it's something that they don't see because it's just not shown. And it's like, okay, well, if I can use my vulnerability here, kind of find a little bit of strength from this, just to like encourage some other young female basketball player who maybe got cut from her high school team or like whatever may have happened to let her know like this happened, like this is very real. It doesn't define you, but like how you respond to it is what's going to define you. And so that, I just thought that that was going to be an important message to share as terrifying as it was to <laughs> make a vlog that vulnerable. But yeah, 
No, I, I really liked it. And I'm glad that you shared that because I, I actually last night. So after I watched that, I was like going to bed. I was like scrolling on LinkedIn. <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> I, I hate going to bed when I have notifications open. So I just opened the app to get rid of the notifications. And I saw someone posted something that I was like, oh, this is so cool. So basically like, you know how a lot of people say like, oh, work, well, the quote goes around, work hard in silence, let your success be your noise and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, don't tell anyone your goals and just like, just work. Mm-hmm. And then when it happens, you surprise them or whatever. And so this guy had posted, he was like, I refuse to work, uh, to put my work in silence. I'm going to like share my story because someone like me needs to see the failures and the highs and the lows, um, you know, to inspire them to do it and to get started and see the realness of it. And I was like, oh, that's, that just like hit home. I was like, that's so true. Like we learn more as humans from failures than we do from success. And yet all everyone's just sharing these success and it makes things look, yeah, glitz and glam and the hype, but that's not like actually going to help people. Like it might light a fire and inspire you to be like, yeah, I'm going to make this team because look, it looks so awesome. I can buy all this stuff or do this, but it's not going to show you the real road. It's not going to show you how you can learn to deal with things when it does get tough because it does. And they're going to go into it with blind eyes, not knowing that it's going to get tough. Totally. Yeah. It's so important, I think, to show the whole picture. And yeah, it's something that really gets glazed over in our society of Instagram and polished edited Mm -hmm. photos. You know, it's so easy to just show this is where I am and everything's good and happy, but it's like, this was the really hard road that I took to get to this. Yeah. I th- I think things are changing. I think like with the the pandemic, it's brought like more realness, even just online, because especially online is like our only mode of communication now. And we're seeing more and more people being like, Hey, this is a hard year. And like opening up about it, people who, you know, maybe were putting on a mask or whatever before. And so I think that's important. I think it's bringing people together in some sort of way, at least, and bringing some sense of realness into, into the 2020. And hopefully we carry that forward and don't go back to like, just posting the hype stuff and, and nothing else. Yes, totally. That would be great if that can last after this. Is all yeah. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. I mean, I feel like after this, it's like everyone's going to go on vacation and post their vacation <laughs> photos. That'll be good too, I think. You know. <laughs> so what what's like your mindset on dealing with failure? How did you, you know, change, like how did you, I really liked how you put into perspective like that it wasn't necessarily a failure. It was a growth process, like who you became in the process of working towards that goal was basically like a reward in itself. How did you actually like get to that mindset and that state of mind? And how can you help, you know, maybe inspire others to work on that mindset to get there as well? Yeah. So I think, I mean, it's a journey and it's not even like I'm at a place where I have a perfect mindset every day. And I think just accepting that you're never going to have a perfect mindset and like never approach things perfectly is a big part of me. So I'm a perfectionist. I'm like, Oh, I get frustrated <laughs> if I have a poor mindset. Sometimes I'm like, Oh, like, shouldn't I have this figured out by now? Um, <laughs> you're so judging your mindset and then it's a yeah. whole loop. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's a very negative cycle. So I think just accepting that my responses don't define like, or like those initial responses and my thoughts don't define who I am. And so then being able to just, like realize also like when you're in any situation that you're going to fail, like it took a lot of courage to get there. And so recognizing that courage and focusing on it, like, Hey, like I did this thing that I don't really have the control of the outcome of, but I did it and I gave it my everything. And just like, I think there's a, there's a deep strength that you can find in that sense of courage and in acknowledging what it took to step outside your comfort zone and try something because it's in like, I was actually just talking to my um, mental coach the other day about it. It's just like, we were talking about the goal versus like who you become along the way. And it's like, there's this 
tension that we live in between like, oh, sorry, how, how did we say it? It was like, yeah, full, so the tension between fully accepting who you are in this moment and also striving to be the best version of yourself. Mm. And so it's like, you need to have these two truths. Like you can't have the one of like less of one and less of the other. Like you need to fully accept where you are in this moment, but you also need to be striving for more. And so when you can like hold those intention, it's like a bridge that you can walk over. And so I think for me, that's, that's been the most important thing is like finding that acceptance, like not trying to project that I'm somewhere that I'm not like, this is where I'm at in my career. I've had these failures. I've had, maybe I'm not exactly where I thought I would be when I, you know, five years ago and I was making my goals, but this is where I am. And like, this is what I'm trying to be. And so just being able to like hold those two truths at the same time, I think. Mm, I like that. I think that's so important. That was something that I was just, it was on my mind last week. I think I shared something about it when it was, it was like self I guess self-acceptance and like self-love versus striving to be better. Cause I find that, I don't know, just with the tensions on social media, especially uh, seeing on TikTok, seeing like some people who are kind of arguing with each other over, like there's this the huge body positive movement now on, on TikTok, mm-hmm. which is awesome. And then there was like, you know, there's a whole group of people who are saying, no, like you need to hate where you are and have that pain so that it motivates you to be better. And I was like, no, they can live cohesively together. Like you can be positive and like, you know, body positive or self-love, self-acceptance of where you are, who you are, all those things. And that's only going to help you be better because you're doing it. You're, you're striving to be better for the right reasons. You're not striving to be better because you hate yourself because then that's a never ending loop. Like you're never going to, to accept yourself. It's not like, oh my God, I made it here. Now I love myself. Like that, I haven't heard that story before. Like I just haven't, you know, you hear pro athletes and they're still upset when they're like the champion of the world. They still have mental health issues and all these things. It doesn't go away. And so I think it's, those things can live cohesively. And I'm, I'm glad you have a mental skills coach that, that mentioned that. And I'm glad that you're, you're putting that message out in the world as well, because I think there's these two sides and somehow, you know, they're, they're growing. And I'm like, yeah, I I agree with self-improvement and I agree with body positivity and self-love and all these things, but like they can live cohesively together. I think that's like the best mix. Yeah. So what, what, what's next for you with, with WNBA? Is that still like a goal to go back and do another training camp or get back on a roster? Yeah, it actually, it is still a goal. And so I was actually supposed to be going to a training camp this past summer but then okay. with the pandemic they decided to not take any training camp so it was kind of it was a bummer um but at the same time I think I'm grateful for it because I've grown so much in like my mental game and even just like my game so I'm like okay now like I don't you know if they aren't the signing period doesn't begin until next February so I don't know if there is even an opportunity out there yet but I know that I'm going to be so much better and I'll be ready if an opportunity does come so still definitely hopeful for that um would love to be able to play in the WNBA again. And I think it's just so cool. Like as a Canadian athlete, I think I just want to like really inspire like the young girls of Canada to like know what they can accomplish with their careers and really just kind of break, break through barriers for them. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Especially someone like you who took up basketball at 15, um, didn't play before that and was just on a farm in a town of 3000 people. It's pretty crazy to where you are now. Totally. So one thing I really liked, I was like on your website and you had a quote and it was like, I play basketball, but basketball is not who I am. I I really like that. Like I, I, just, you know, I went through a really hard time when I retired from snowboarding and I, sh- I share about it um, because of the identity that you put into being an athlete and, and doing these things. And it's something I wish I realized earlier that like just being this athlete, being a snowboarder is not all who all I am and not all of what, you know, other people look at me as how could you elaborate on like that message? 
Yeah. So, well, it's something that is really deep within me because I had to learn it the hard way, probably similar to you. Um, it was my second year pro and like I had placed all my value in my basketball career and also had like did not have a great season that year. And like, I mean, it all tied together because I was just putting so much pressure on myself and was so results based instead of process based. And so I wasn't performing well. And like, I basically just like left. I was like, oh, I, I feel so worthless. Like, what am I even contributing and it was just a heavy and dark place to be. And like, yeah. I was miserable. And so to kind of just be able to reflect, I think I had a moment where one of my friends was like, okay, well, if you aren't enjoying basketball, just quit. And I was like, what? Quit, quit, <laughs> quit. Like I play basketball. And so I think that's when I knew that I had become too wrapped up. And so just to even have that moment where I was like, oh, if I want, I could quit. Like I do, I just play basketball. This no one has a gun to your head and making yeah, you do this. Like, yeah. I'm choosing to do this. And so just remembering that, that like, yeah, I'm in control of my career and that I'm so much more than a basketball player. And I think also like from then I've done so much like work mentally and being able to just like, yeah, handle stressful situations, be like focus less on the outcomes and more about the process, like little things like that help. But then also um, like starting my YouTube channel and doing these other things outside of basketball that I'm passionate about, those have been super helpful too. Because I think when I left college, like in college, I was immersed in academics, I was immersed in basketball. And so it kind of, it prevented me from becoming too overloaded in one or like placing too much stock in one. Whereas I became a pro and I like just played basketball and that was it. And I played basketball every day and like I went around the world to play basketball. And so I became totally unbalanced. And so to just intentionally craft these different things, these different hobbies and passions, that I do when I'm not playing basketball, I think was also just a huge part in finding that balance again. Mm, yeah, that's so important. I think it's it's very easy to be defined by what you do, especially in the, the professional athlete realm, because like that's that's your life. Like everything you do is to that singular goal. I think it's a little bit different in like normal careers because, you know, people are like, no, I go home to my family and I do these things. I mean, there's still you know, definitely people who, who have the same issues in that situation, but it is a little bit of a separation versus the pro athlete world. It's like everything that you see is like sacrifice everything all in on this. And, and, you know, the name of my podcast is all in, but I like to say, it's like all in doesn't mean singularly focused on this one thing. It means you're all in on like creating, you know, being the best you, and that can involve different passions and different things. And so I think it's important to note if if an athlete's listening to this, like explore those other passions. It's not going to take away from your performance as a basketball player. In fact, it might improve your longevity because you're improving, you know, you have an outlet with mental health, you have different passions, you're building a platform, um, you know, that could last longer than, than sport, all these different things that is, it's so important because I think a lot of us learn it the hard way. Sometimes maybe that's the only way to learn it. I don't know, but it's, it's not fun when you go through that. No, not at all. So did I see that you, you did the, is it Juan or Juan de Fuku trail? Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So when I, I went out West in uh, September, October, I guess. Yeah. September. And, um, we have family friends in Whistler and they were saying like their whole family just had finished the, that trail. And so then I saw on your TikTok that you did it. How was that? Like, how long is that trail? And like, they, they told me some crazy stories about like setting up a tent on a beach or something. And then the tide came in and I was like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I think 42 kilometers or something like that. Okay. Um, so we did it over, five days um it ended up there was like a problem bear on the last leg so we couldn't do the last 10 kilometers but um yeah we did this trail it's 
it's an experience like none other. I've never gone like backpacking before. Like I've gone camping and all that stuff, but this was my first time like carrying all my food on my back and like just everything. And so yeah, I did that with my like old high school friend Kim from Houston, which was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, it was it was such an amazing experience. The first two days were like pretty breezy like it was like really nice weather and like we were just like going along like I mean the hiking was hard because there was one day where it was literally like up a ridge down a ridge up a ridge down a ridge yeah like, I, I heard about <laughs> yeah I think that that was, sounds crazy yeah and then yeah like you are you're staking your tents like basically out there on the rocks like you have to there's tide tables and so like there's time you have to like time it with the tide so that you don't get like cut off at a certain edge so it's like it's that's what happened to them <laughs> they, they, the, oh my gosh the, the mom forgot that the tide like goes in twice a day she thought it was once so she's like oh we have the whole day and they were just like so tired they're like yeah sure and then they get there like oh my god <laughs> oh no yeah that would be terrifying yeah um, yeah yeah then there's a few beaches where you literally do just like set up right on the beach like your tent which is like so cool because you're just like out there in nature and it was so beautiful like I yeah the views and just like the smells and like the air was amazing that's awesome that's so cool yeah I was in Victoria and we drove up like not as far as the trail but like kind of close to maybe where the trailhead would start I suppose because it's north of Victoria right like uh yeah it's um it's like starts at Port Renfrew and then goes south to like Souk or one of those I can't remember oh yeah oh yeah right 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 so we went up to we went to Souk okay yeah 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 yeah. so then that's where I and I don't know if this family did Souk the other way or which way they went I they might have started at Souk I'm not sure but yeah yeah yeah, they said it was pretty epic I can only imagine as a family like they have uh I mean their kids are older now they only have one kid under 18 but like four kids and I'm like okay that's you you guys are adventurous yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly it I was like oh well I mean pandemic times (laughs) enjoy your bubble and go (laughs) awesome all right so I have a few questions I want to end things on one just like fast-paced questions but you can take as long as you want to answer one is if you weren't a pro athlete what would you be doing Ooh, well, I got my degree in mechanical engineering, so I'd probably be like working at NASA building rockets or something like that. I like it. <laughs> nice. I, I think that's awesome. The high hopes for e- either like e- pro athlete or NASA. It's not just like, oh, yeah, I do mechanical engineering in some company in BC. <laughs> no, NASA. <laughs> I like it. Did you see this? The SpaceX launch on uh, was it Sunday? Oh no, I missed that one. Okay, yeah, yeah I, I I didn't watch it either. To be honest, I forgot yeah. what time it was on, but uh, but I saw like in the news and on social media, and I think they were sending maybe two astronauts up to space for NASA. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, okay, la- uh, second one is what is one game changer habit that you do every day? Like, what's if if there's one daily habit or routine that's like the biggest game changer for you? Yeah, I think for me, like even just in this last month, I've like written out my whys um, Mm. on paper and I have them on a wall and I read them every morning. So I have why I play basketball and why I vlog and then just kind of like my purpose of life almost like in like a little statement. So I think just being able to remind myself of those every morning has been a really big like anchor for me and my thoughts. Mm, I really like that because I think a lot of people you know, they might think if my why is strong enough, like I'm always going to be motivated. I'm always going to be dedicated, but it's not necessarily the case as humans. Like we, we kind of, we question our why we, we get tired. We want to slow down and not do things. And so having that as a reminder every day is I I can assume like a huge game changer of just reminding yourself because, you know, you're a pro athlete and you still need those, those reminders. Totally. What is your favorite quote? 
Ooh. Um, I think I'm going to have to go. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Philippians 4 for 13, which is a Bible quote. And it's, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So that's that's the foundation of everything that I am. So, yeah. Nice. And then the last one is if you could say you're like 90 years old or who knows, maybe there's some technology. We live to 120. <laughs> you're looking back on your life and you, you're thinking about your legacy. If you could describe your legacy in one word, what would that one word be? Ooh, I think authenticity. I like it. Awesome. Sweet. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It was great to hear about your story. And um, yeah, hopefully maybe things open up a little bit in Poland. You can adventure around more, but I mean, <laughs> it is as time of recording this November, 2020 and winter is coming. So. <laughs> hey, I think that the greatest gift in life is presence. So thank you so much for gracing me with your presence of tuning in to this episode. Now, something that I would appreciate a ton and would help this podcast keep growing is if you, one, take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your social media so more people can find the podcast and hopefully we can help impact more people. As well as number two is if you can leave a rating and a written review. That means so much. And once again, thank you for being here.